What's up, everyone? You're listening to Man's Greatest Adventure. This is Vito Presta. Hope your day is going well. This is December 3rd, Monday, December 3rd. I'm not sure when this will be coming out, but again, today, December 3rd. So today we have on uh, Jason Amato. He is an entrepreneur that gets America back outside in nature, which is awesome. So we have this amazing conversation. We talk about uh, the absolute highs and the devastating, devastating lows he went through um, in his personal life and business life and what it was like to uh, to lose everything. I'm talking 80% of his income. He lost all of his life savings um, and how he struggled as a man and I with with his identity and brought that to as entrepreneurship. And man, by the time we were done with this episode, I swear I was ready to run through a brick wall. I mean, this guy jacks you up in a way that it's like no BS. So really excited about this episode. You guys are going to love it. Um, just a heads up on the 60 minute marker. We had a little bit of technical difficulties, but everything's cool. So just bear with the quality. We're learning here. We're all good. And uh, guys, please subscribe, like, rate, share this. Just share this podcast. Um, we're excited. We got awesome feedback on the first episode. Um, we're just really excited for this to grow. So if you like it and you you support what you're hearing and and you support our cause in uh, helping men grow uh, and become better people, then please share with everyone you know. Uh, rate it wherever you're listening to Spotify, iTunes, wherever. I don't know. Just rate it and share it, and uh, please comment. I'm dying to hear from you guys. We're excited. We got some awesome people coming on from all different backgrounds, so uh, we're really excited. So anyway, Jason Amato, owner of Takedown Eventures. Uh, let's go. All right, Jason Amato. What's How up, we doing? How's it going? Uh, doing well. Oh, real quick. Were you at church yesterday? Yep. Did you, so you heard that guy who like his voice yeah, was, oh yeah, dude, amazing. I was in tears. Cause so what happened was, um, when John was telling the story about how they dropped that guy through the roof yeah, to heal him, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, that could have been so staged, you know, like uh-huh. Jesus could have been like, Hey guys, come in. I'll pretend like these paralyzed, whatever. And then I was mad at myself for thinking that. And then at the end when he played, so for those of you listening, we go to this church in Roselle now, um, and there was this pastor who had lost his voice because of a virus. Uh-huh. And like 10 years later or something, years yeah. later, he was preaching and they were recording it and he was talking like this and you couldn't really hear him. And then during this, during the, the preaching, his voice just came back and it was amazing to hear a miracle, you know? Yeah. Cause like you read about it in the Bible or in like all these stories, all these miracles happens, but like, I feel like in today's age, we don't hear about that stuff. Right. Right. It's more the negatives. It's more the whatever, but I don't know. I don't know what that just popped in my head just now. I don't know why. It's a great story. But, um, yeah. How, how powerful is that man? Well, it's, it's flesh and blood. You know, you can like, whether it's the Bible or whatever you do, it's, uh, it's kind of like the Chinese proverb where it says a man with an argument is no match for a man with an experience. And for me, I want to see flesh and blood of whatever that trait is. I don't want to just see it on a wall of courage. I want to see somebody who's actually courageous. Mm. And so when you're talking about a miracle, to hear a story that's tangible, that I can actually see is so different than reading it in a newspaper or online. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was incredible, but I don't know. I just thought it was really That's powerful. Awesome. So um, I told you what the podcast is about, kind of what we're going yeah. into. Just for everybody listening, do you want to introduce yourself, kind of tell us what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm Jason stuff. Amato. Uh, I am the CEO, president, owner, and operator of Takedown eVentures. Um, Takedown eVentures, we create these unique and powerful experiences for corporations, organizations, teams, all centered around getting people outside with outside activities. And so for us, it's all about the three E's. Uh, we want to educate, which leads to excitement, which leads to empowerment. So these are non-gender based uh, events, or ventures we call them. And these men and women will do a variety of activities from tomahawks, crossbows, spears, shotguns. We have a wild game chef. Uh, just a lot of things that causes them to get engaged and actually mm -hmm. uh, uh, rip off a lot of the the titles that they get in corporate America, being the president, janitor, everywhere in between. It's, hey, my name's Susie, and I'm going to learn how to throw a spear today. Right. Not yeah. all CEOs yeah. know how to throw a tomahawk, right? <laughs> so they can't be like, well, I'm the CEO. Yeah, I, that's right. I've been in this business longer. Sorry, Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my, I guess, quote-unquote title, what I'm currently doing, and uh, really loving it. I wake up, I tell people every day, uh, drowning in purpose. Uh, it's difficult. I mean, going into, well, finishing year four, going into year five, um, and it's hard. You know, there isn't, uh, we're on a podcast right now and I was talking with a guy the other day, there's all these different podcasts and other things, uh, and so much literature on a lot of other things in life, but small business owners, um, there's not a ton of stuff about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it's been a lot of navigating through, um, a lot of the challenges that small business owners face yeah. when it's just you. I mean, you wear the, you're the secretary, you're the accountant, you're, you know, every kind of hat you wear. And I think what's toughest is you suck at most of them. Yeah. And when you're in, when you're in a normal job or someone's paying you, you're being paid for your skill set. Right. Whereas when you're an entrepreneur and you're a small business owner, it's uh, you have your skill set, but then you have a bunch of things that you suck at. And at the same time, you got to do them all. You have, yeah, and they have to be done. And they have to be done. Yeah. So they say, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Most small businesses don't make it to the fifth year. Yeah, and you're yeah. going. You're going in. Yeah, they would say even to year three. Year so three. Uh, you know, my attorney would say you got a barometer. You got to make it through year three to year five is usually mm -hmm. when uh, that you're going to know you're either going to make it or you're not. And you're going in pretty strong too, right? Yeah, yeah. We uh, just looked. We got the num final numbers in. We uh, doubled our events. We went from 26 events awesome. a year ago to 52 events uh, in 2018, and we're already. Um, we've already booked business in 2019, almost, uh, 30% of all of last year. That's awesome. Before we've even hit the, the calendar. Congratulations, year. man. Yeah. It's That's pretty exciting. Cool. I mean, you know, my family. Yep. So my dad started a business 28 years ago, whatever around there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just seeing that the whole progression of like, yeah, he's good at concrete, mm. but he's not like a sales guy. He's not gonna, he doesn't network, you know, he's just like, listen, this is the price. I'm good at what I do. Hopefully I get the job, you know, probably, you know, maybe right. not, whatever. Right. But it's been, yeah, yeah, it's tough when it's just yourself. That's a huge, like, it's got to be a huge blast to the ego too. To be like, man, I'm, I'm good at educating, exciting and empowering, but like, I don't know, accounting. Yeah. I don't know like what it is to like create an ad or whatever. Like, what is it like as far as, hmm. So as, as a man, right? Yeah. What I've seen is guys don't ask for directions. You know, guys right. don't yeah. guys don't ask for help. 
Yeah. But it's like when you're starting a business. So there's a lot of people too listening to this. They're like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Sure. Or I've been doing accounting, let's say for 10 years. I'm just not happy, but I know I'm not going to be like great at doing something else. Like how do you navigate? Yeah. Maybe it's a kick to your ego or like, what was that? What was your biggest trial? I guess like leading, starting up. Yeah. I guess I'll take, uh, can we rewind to kind of how it all came about? So, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. Um, uh, I thought sports was going to be my ticket. So I was okay. doing baseball and had some injuries and just flat out wasn't going to be good enough to be a professional um, uh, athlete. Uh, at the same time, um, I thought business might be what I decided to do. So I went off to college, actually, uh, to, to, to major in business. And I showed up and I made it through about three days. Okay. Uh, I, I showed up and I'll never forget the uh, the teacher draws this giant bell curve. And I look at it and I'm like, that looks like the Liberty Bell. Yeah. That, I don't have a clue what's going on. I thought I was going to hire somebody to count my money for me. And uh, that was just the honest thought. So I walked out of class and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to do with my life? And went to the admissions counselor and said, what'd you do? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tell my parents, I'm just, I don't understand this whole biz, all these business and economic stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I have this vision to be an entrepreneur, but I thought I had to do business school in order to do that. So I ended up getting into um, speech communication. So what are you good at? I said, I like to talk to people. Mm-hmm. So I did speech comm and uh, was doing that. But there wasn't really this end game of like, well, what does that get you? That was never my, my thought. And so you have that going on. And my passion was sports, but that didn't seem to equate to anything that could have any sustainable income for me. Okay. I didn't have a particular industry or career. Like I, my dad, my, my dad was a, um, an actual attorney. And so, well, you know, I don't want to sit at a desk all day. That wasn't me. Uh, so I'm just kind of getting this degree thinking I'm going to do that. And it was at that time that um, I decided that I was going to figure out how I could use talking to people for my advantage. And at that time, um, the real estate market was booming. Okay. And so uh, I was strictly looking, but nothing to do with passion. I was strictly looking, how am I going to make a living? Right. And real estate seemed to make sense. And uh, I decided to go and hustle and hit the streets and start looking for investors to invest in me and my vision to take their money and use it to buy multi-units. Mm-hmm. Um, started doing that. I, I got about a thousand no's. And uh, then I found a gentleman that was willing to invest in me and my vision and bought a two flat in the suburbs. And was able to then rent that out and start flipping that and started buying multi units all over the place and was doing really really good with it. So you got your real you got your realtor license? No. So what I was doing was just strictly investing. I was taking other people's money yeah. at the time and was going and buying. Let's say like this for example, this first two flat. I remember being terrified. Yeah. And my thing was the rent. Everything's on me. You're just investing in this property and you're going to get a minimum back of doubling what you're doing in the bank right now, oh, with okay. the potential to get appreciation of up to X, which at that time, things were appreciating really well. And so I had to roll the dice and risk, hey, if a pipe leaks, I got to either do it myself or I got to find somebody who's cutting the grass. If tenants drop out, I got to find the new rent. Um, And that's how I started that. And I was able to then borrow from that to start getting my own income and started buying it as I bought another two flat in LaGrange mm. and started buying these multi-units and started building up what I thought was going to be my career. Yeah. So I had all this going on and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of learning as I went. And so I, I'm doing this and it was fun because I was starting to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really a core passion for me. We talk about being a guy. I mean, I love sports and I didn't really know what else I really liked to do. Yeah. Besides that, I'm working out. And so at that time, um, I had also um, 
I had my girlfriend in high school had sent out some pictures of some modeling agency, and I thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. Of you? Yeah, yeah. of me. And so I'm just like, this is ridiculous. You know, who does this kind of stuff? Because the, back then, the stereotype was really weird yeah. from Chicago. And uh, I started getting all these calls, and I'm just like, what in the world? So that was also easy money. So here I am, uh, my freshman year of college. I've dropped out of business school. I'm doing speech comm, um, getting this idea about possibly doing this real estate world. And now I'm driving into Chicago doing these you know, for the entertainment world yeah. uh, stuff, and it's easy money. So I'm saying, hey, maybe I should drop out of school completely. Well, my parents say, you know, you're not a quitter. We don't allow you to quit. We'll let you go through the end of the year, and then you can quit. So I actually dropped out of college okay. after my freshman year um, and moved to New York uh, to pursue modeling. And so I was living in uh, New York as this what, 19-year-old boy, just, wow. I mean, Mr. You know, Midwest, and I'm here in you know, the bright lights in New York, going to clubs in the middle of the night, I didn't have a clue what was even going on half yeah. the time. Um, so I'm doing that and realized that wasn't a lot of fun for me. I'm not a city guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had all these different uh, these different things going on. From there, I was like, well, what's the next end goal there? You know, my, my thing in life is always to not get so caught up in the moment, but also to see, well, where is this going to lead me long term? Right. And so same thing with the real estate. It was with this, it was okay, well, modeling, what's that going to do for me? It's going to make me some good money. But then what? And I started seeing that, well, a lot of the models, they all eventually wanted to be actors. So I was like, well, why don't I just go and try to be an actor now instead of trying to walk around and be a model? And and so then I ended up um, moving to L.A. And so I was in L.A. And so started to get and got in the SAG union um, and was doing that and moved with a guy that was... um, He's on a scholarship for golf down in Texas, ended up coming home. And so he wanted to go out there and do some fitness modeling. So we go out there together and uh, that life will just eat you up really quick if you're not careful. And in so um, you're just, it's great when you're a tourist, but when you try to live like a tourist for more than a week, uh, it eats you up. When you go and it's one thing, you know, I, I think people can relate to you go to a beach in Florida go to South Beach, you think it's the greatest thing in the world, and you're having fun, you're going out, you're doing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, you decide, well, I'm going to move there. Well, then you move there and realize, unless uh, you're retired or (laughs) independently wealthy, you can't lay on the beach all day. You actually got to go and work for a living, and you don't see the beach near as much as you do in that whole week from just vacationing. Well, that was similar to my experience. You go to California, and you're going to Beverly Hills, but you think, hey, I'm going to go do some shopping. Well, that's great for one day, but what do you do after seven days of doing that and you don't got a job per se? Yeah. So, um, you know, that and then just the the lifestyle and the scene. You know, I'm a 19, 20-year-old kid at the time and you have just the, the, you know, the wealth around you. You have the allure of like women that you've Mm. you've never seen in the Midwest or at least, you know, where I was in Bloomingdale. Right. Um, You have... Just uh, so many people cutting different corners to get what they want. And just that it's a nonstop lifestyle where, you know, I think at least in the Midwest, at least back then, you could have like a an off button to just kind of just be you and chill. Yeah. But it's like if you ever went to a party where there was my sister was in drama growing up, you go to these and everybody's like the whole time they're on. They're having to try to impress everybody. Yeah. It just kind of felt like you'd show up and it's not just you and your buddies just hanging out watching a game in your sweatpants. It's you got to be on the whole time because you're selling yourself. And it's just something that just was was not something I was used to Mm -hmm. and could eat away at you really quick. Yeah. Um, So I was doing that and uh, I was saying, okay, this this is what I was going to do. And. 
uh, ended up having a pretty traumatic situation happen for me. My roommate ended up getting killed in a jet ski accident. Um, he went to go uh, party with some girls uh, from Vegas that we had met, and uh, Lake Mead is out there. And right. so he was going out there um, for that, and I so happened to not – I wasn't going to go that weekend. Uh, I was kind of still getting used to life there and was trying to set up some interviews and auditions. And um, I remember – uh, I was I was driving from the gym and I was just starting to get into these fitness competitions um, mm-hmm. through Crunch Gym, and I got a call and they're like, "Hey, you know, Brian was just in a jet ski accident and he lacerated his liver, and you know he's gonna make it." And long story short, with that, ended up um, passing away um, a couple of days later in the hospital, just oh, total no. fluke thing. And so here I am, this you know still a young guy. Yeah. I don't have a support system in California. I didn't have any true friends out there, and um, so. Uh, ended up moving back home. And so it, the cost of living, everything, and also SAG went on strike at that time. And so you have all these seasoned veteran actors yeah. that are now taking voiceovers. Yeah. Well, who's Jason Amato? Right, right. <laughs> He's a nobody in that. Yeah. So um, moved home and uh, enrolled at a local college. And so here I am trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, and so now all of a sudden my entertainment world, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'll go back, but I kind of got to just, I never really had someone close to me die. Yeah. And so that was really kind of, uh, shook me up because we kind of live as men invincible. And like, we know that death is going to be there one day. We read about it. We talk like we're okay with it. Yeah. But, um, I guess when we really get faced with the reality of it in front of us, you realize you a lot of us aren't okay with it. Or at least I wasn't like yeah. that really was like okay, that guy's gone. He's never coming back. And then you start playing back the conversations of, um, what could I maybe done more in this guy's life? Mm. Um, you know, mm. uh, for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I would call myself a Christian, a follower of Christ. Um, we used to talk about things like heated in great ways, like Michigan football versus Texas. We'd fight all day about it just in a playful way and have yeah. fun. And I'd, I'd fight for my opinion and my thing in this. And I started thinking, um, you know, he was going through a lot of other things in his life where he could have really used like a good group of people to be around, not saying you got to go to church every Sunday or anything like that. Um, but I remember one of the things was like, you know, he'd casually just be like, Hey dude, you want to come to church with me? And he'd be like, no. And you would be like, all right, cool. Bye. And you just would. Yeah. But if it was like, Hey, Michigan football sucks. Well, I would be more like, let's talk about this. And so certain things you go back and kind of regret that yeah. is like, you know, did I really invest in that person's life? Um, like I would have, if I would have known that was his last day. Was that, um, did that weigh pretty heavy on you that like yeah. looking back at that? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I kept that card from the funeral for a while, just in my truck, just being just devastated because for the first time I was faced with immediacy, like the, it, of like the time is now, mm-hmm. it's not tomorrow. And I've always, I, I grew up in a great home where it was like, you just, you grew up secure, you know, mm-hmm. your mother and dad loved you. You felt like you had your whole life ahead of you. And so did this guy. I mean, he grew up in a great home. He's yeah. a typical, you know, great, good-looking guy, successful. So, yeah, there was a lot of um, how, old, how old were you? I was 19. So when I was, I was a, a junior in college. How old is that? 20? Yeah, 20, right around 21. Bad with, yeah. Um, I had a best friend growing up. We were, like, inseparable. Um, and then around middle school, he kind of... So he, I was supposed to go to the movies with like my three friends and then a couple other guys, and I just didn't go. And then I think we were like seventh or eighth grade. I didn't go, and that night they got jumped off of like Gary and Army Trail, or whatever. It was like 
at the at the dollar show, the dollar theater. Yeah. So they got jumped by some just like idiots. Whatever. They just wanted to create havoc. There wasn't any weapons or anything. They just jumped him. And my buddy was the biggest guy. He was always the biggest guy. So like two people jumped on him. Like three of my buddies were there. And since that day, I was they invited me to go and I just didn't go. One mm-hmm. of those things, I just didn't go. But since that day, they kind of had like a chip on their shoulder. Because hmm. like, imagine growing up, right? And then just like one day someone jumps you for no reason. Sure. You know, like you, sure. you, you kind of get this sense of whatever. So we kind of... We still hung out after that, but then we split ways. So like that kind of, that actually the group of friends went to Driscoll yeah. for high school and I went to Lake Park. So then we kind of drifted away even more, but I'm talking like we were best friends, hung out every single day, everything. And in college, I found out he got cancer and I was like, oh shit, that, that sucks, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached out to him like, Hey Frank, you know, like heard everything that's going on, like wishing you the best hope, whatever. He's like, yeah, man. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And I was like, we should, we should grab dinner one day or coffee or whatever. He's like, well, I'm in Florida right now, but when I get back, I'll let you know, I'll hit you up. We'll, we'll do something. And, uh, again, like best friends, like mm. near and dear to my heart. And he, he got back and I saw he got back and I didn't reach back out to him. And I was like, I should, I should, I should reach out to Frank again. And I didn't. And he had beat cancer, but, um, all the chemo had like messed with his, the chemicals in his body and he he was going through depression mm. and uh my i remember my cousin do you know the kelcos at ron kelco phoenix yeah so ron's mom had died on like wednesday before halloween or something and then which was sad because sure ron's like a, a dad to me and then two days later my mom calls me and she goes it was like eight in the morning she goes hey frank Barkle died and I was sleeping. I was like, Oh, okay. But I was kind of numb to the whole thing with Ron's mom that I didn't really process it. So I was like, okay, well, what happened? You know? And she's like, well, he overdosed. And I was like, Oh man. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And like, it didn't really bother me. And then we were walking to the wake. And I remember right when we parked the car, I got out and like, you know, in the movies where like a bomb goes off and it's like, and you hear like a ringing. Yeah. That's what, that's what it sounded like. And I was walking into Salernos and my mom's like, I could hear her yelling my name in the background, but I couldn't really hear it. And then finally I turn around and then I walk in, I, I look at her and she like sees this look in my eyes and I walk in and I see the casket. I didn't even see him and I just broke down. Mm-hmm. And dude, from that day, like it's, it's, it's shook me bad. Wow. And we, and we had stopped talking for years. The same thing with you. Like, I was every day. I was like, I should have reached out to him. I should have talked to him. I just gone through my life coaching stuff. Like, I was in a really good place myself, and then it just I put all the guilt, all the everything on me, you know. Hmm. And I just I couldn't. I'm like just now recovering. Wow. And it's it's been years, over over five or six years. Yeah. Hmm. But I mean, that's like, and then like as a man too. Like, how do you? When my parents, my mom would reach out to me like, oh, how you doing? I'm like, good, fine, whatever. You know, like, how do you, how did, how did you do? Like, what did, I, I don't know. I don't know if you took it as hard as I did. I mean, I was like wrecked, but I mean, like, what did you do to, to process all, all of that? Yeah. Um, you, for me, I buried some of it. It's unhealthy, but just did. Um, that gets you through the night sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I would say, secondly, I tried to use it 
over time, I mean, it's easy for us to look back on it now and say, oh, I was a superhero and how I had, no. Um, but over time, it was a uh, priceless reminder to live every day to the fullest, whole carpe diem. Um, if people were to say one word about me, I, I would think they would say passion is what most people would say, yeah. um, is my passion for life. And that fueled a fire that continues, um, this unquenchable fire to make sure that uh, I take every ounce of every day. Uh, I, I sometimes refer to some of my friends as the four quarters. Um, I think sadly, a lot of times, if you were to break our day up into four quarters, mm -hmm. um, we take quarters off. And so you think of, uh, I would say the most uh, taken off quarter, same is, is like Sunday. I see, how many of my friends, I want to go like with them and their families. I want to do something like that. They're looking at their watches because they're freaking out about Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And they're like three o'clock hits and it's like, we're shutting down. I got to get everything. I'm like, dude, you're throwing away your the rest, like, of, your rest of your day because you're living in fear of Monday morning. And that's your two day weekend because you're in a, you know, an eight to five job or whatever you got going Monday through Friday. And so uh, for me, it's, it's just living every one of those quarters out living every uh, day out and maximizing relationships, um, which is hard in our society. I went to Africa uh, on a missions trip, and I was amazed at the relational culture. Um, granted, they don't get as much done as we do, mm -hmm. but is that really a good thing? Um, you know, this guy would leave for the day, and in America, we'd come back like, what you do? You just went and got water. It took you all day. Well, he had seven conversations along the way where he stopped and got involved in someone's life. Mm -hmm. And who knows what that conversation led to, what he learned, what made him a better man, what right. he was able to do. And uh, if we can try to, I don't know how you do it uh, successfully with the way our culture is set up a lot of times in America, but I would fight for, if anything, I'd rather err on, mm, you know what, Jason didn't get this done today. But yeah, I got my to-do list. Not everything was done, but I was able to have five more conversations with hmm. people along the day or longer conversations. And those people actually knew that I actually cared about what they were actually saying. Yeah. Genuine yep. communication. So <clears throat> why is it that men are less apt to having conversation? And, and but like you said, though, in our culture, because you go in other cultures and it's it's completely different. But in ours, it's like women talk too much is the thing you yeah, know totally guys just want their space and silence but it's like the conversations i've been having just in this podcast is like people that i know that i'm like oh my god this guy's his life is amazing and it's like yeah okay well we're way more productive than any country we're not but you know <laughs> right. this is what we tell ourselves and it's like oh status is accomplishment and money and success and homes and whatever but it's like yeah how do we make that shift and like why is it that men like I talk to my brother, if I talk to Bruno, it's about hunting or whatever he wants to talk about. Sure. Because if I'm like, if I wanted to do this with him, he'd get uncomfortable, which is fine. But it's like, what's, what's there? Why, why, why do you think yeah. that is? Or well, for, have you had that experience? Yeah. So for one, we're uncomfortable, right? With what's unfamiliar to us. I mean, look at any culture, society, whatever we're uncomfortable with is you start a new job, you try a new sport you've never done. Um, you talk about society, not understanding other people of different cultures, religions, whatever. Most of it stems with an insecurity of we, we're uncomfortable with things we're not, we don't understand or we're not used to. And so in our culture, uh, that is so based on performance and what we get done and titles, 
it doesn't leave men with a lot of time to have any practice in relational stuff. Mm. So if I'm a man and I have no practice in it because I hit the floor running to provide for my family, I'm spoken into the lie that how I perform at work identifies me as who I am as a man, and I'm working up job titles, I'm working in relationships, and most of my relationships now, you think back in college, you weren't trying to get anything. You actually had conversation yeah. with with other guys because there wasn't you weren't client it was the teacher you were trying to you weren't trying to work each other that this and that. Well, then you go in after college or people don't go to college and jump into a career. Most conversations are to get something. It's to 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 elevate ourselves to work that angle to try to figure out how people perceive us. And what does that leave us? That leaves us with no experience as men of how yeah. to do that. So when a man is confronted with that. It's awkward because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I've never had to talk about this. And, you know, you have that. And then the stereotype that uh, as men, um, we're supposed to be there for our wives. I mean, I have a wife. I, I love her. And, you know, I have two daughters um, and I'm there for them. But I think just like the stereotype is men are supposed to be this tough shutdown, don't say anything. It's that the other end is that we're supposed to be nothing but a sounding board to just listen to our wives. Mm-hmm. And any idea of our wives there to listen to us. And this isn't this isn't pushing off on the wives. This is saying, do I even allow my wife the opportunity to hear me out on something? Because the perceive that I'm just supposed to be the listener, listener, listener. So I think there's many factors yeah. that equate to the fact that the average man is never going to have a, a stimulating conversation. Yeah. Um, hence why I love the outdoors and the things we do. Um, because we allow so much time for relationship. Yeah. Huh. Well, so I told you outside, I don't, I want to get into hunting, yeah. but I'm not like, yeah, I don't know much about it. Yeah. Um, which is nice because Bruno knows a ton and he'll teach me and everything, but right. I went once with him and, uh, I just sat there and observed and like kind of understood the layout and what we're looking for or whatever, but it was the most peaceful and I, I'm a, I'm a certified yoga instructor. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, went, I went through like a, I went through a, like a 200 hour yoga training yeah. because I was like, I wanted to understand the mind body connection. Gotcha. Yeah. But we did a lot of meditating. Okay. And that day in the forest was easily the most like, I don't want to say out of body experience, but it was the most peaceful day in my life. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. And there's like, there's something, and I, that's why I, I love what you're doing too. We'll, we'll get more into it. But it's yeah. like, I love getting people back outdoors. Cause I, I did it once. I lay, I literally sat on the ground, my back against a tree, no gun or bow in my hand. I was just observing. And I was like, I could be here forever. Wow. You know, there's, I mean, we could get into a whole conversation yeah. about man and nature, but yeah. it's like, um, I feel like men need that. And, at, at least in cities, I'm sure there's people listening who are in more, sure. you know, country areas, or whatever. But in cities, like, there's no opportunity to do that, none. And especially now with like, you, you know, you bring your podcasts are great, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying like just listening to podcasts or music yeah. or whatever, constantly like looking at your phone, just scrolling through nothing. Yeah, like if we just sit in nature, man, it's like it's Nothing incredible. Like it. So, so you're. You're in California. Yeah. Your best friend passes. You come back home. You don't know what you're doing with your life. You're going back to school. What's what's like the next step? Like yeah, where, yeah. where are you going? So that was a real crossroad. So right, what what do you do? Yeah. Um, and how old are you at this point? 
So I'm like 20 years old. Okay. I'm right there. And if I'm off, I'm sorry, mom, if I'm off by a year or something, <laughs> I don't know age as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really reeling back at this point. Because here, I, I've always had this childlike excitement to life, mm-hmm. and I've always had, I'm not going to settle. Whether it's a job, a relationship, I will not settle. And yet, here I started getting claustrophobic, seeing, mm. well, what am I going to do? Because if I just put the suit on, or I just do whatever whatever it is to you that makes you feel claustrophobic, mm-hmm. uh, for me it was, there's nothing that excites me in the business world real estate just was fun and easy money so of course it was exciting yeah what am i going to do and so i had this going on and um this is kind of where you talked about the outdoors and having that experience so i uh i grew up i worked at pet shops locally had about a thousand animals in my basement i was like you know dr doolittle (laughs) love that stuff so (laughs) wait real quick real quick what, what was the craziest animal you had uh i had a ferret you had a ferret? Yeah, and I lived in like a hammock. Hated My dad hated it. My dad's this little <laughs> Italian guy. And he just would bite his toes all mm. the time. And I had an iguana living in my room that was just on a piece of wood I screwed to the wall and didn't know she was a female till she laid eggs in my water bed. No. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine going down to take a nap no. and you take your pillow and a bunch of eggs fall out. Oh, no. It's crazy. So you were literally Dr. Doolittle. Oh, loved the, animals. the Italian version. Well, did, yeah. yeah, very Italian. <laughs> yeah, very, very grease back. Yeah. Hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk to him and runs. Yeah. Um, so I had this love of animals, you know, so I had that. And so I knew that was a passion of me, like sports was and, and working out. So I had that and there was a gentleman in the area that owned a concrete company that was uh, very successful. And all of us young guys, we really looked up to him. He's a gold glove boxer, this tough guy. Oh, cool. And he went to our local church and he one day, um, pulled me and, uh, my best friend at the time aside and said, Hey, you know, you guys think you're so cool. And it was good conversation. He said, Jason, you ever shot a bow and arrow? And he had taken out my one friend. And my friend's like, dude, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. It's like G.I. Joe's for adults. You mm-hmm. just get to be a kid again. I'm like, it sounds cool. And, well, this guy ends up, I'm like, well, I'm not going to want to get beat up by him either. We looked up to him. This guy's yeah. a tough guy, great guy. We looked up and he said, um, he said, there won't be a bigger rush you'll ever experience as a man. And I'm thinking, okay, you you like fight in a cage. You're like this boxer. Yeah. You're a tough dude, and you're telling me there's no adrenaline out there that you sit in a tree. So I'm like, well, I'm going to take you up on that. And uh, this guy, um, you know, kind of like a hair club president client as well. Uh, For me, what I do now, I tell people it goes back to this day. So this guy gets me hooked up. I get into archery. I start shooting, and he's gracious enough to invite us to go hunt on his farm at Apple Canyon Lake in Galena. Cool. And so he takes us out there. And I'll never forget, so we wake up early, and I'm not a morning person. So it's like, okay, you got to get up before light, and we're going to get in the truck. We're going to be no-scented, so these deer can't smell us, and we're going to go climb some tree that he's going to send me to and be there in the dark. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm walking out there. I get on this, like, so I, he points to where I'm going to go, and I climb up, and I'll never forget. I would never hunt this way now. Like, it, it was literally 7 to 10 feet off the ground, rickety, like, just wooden stand, yeah. which I now I'm, like, 20 feet in the air when I hunt. And I climbed in the dark, and I'm like, all right, this is okay. And so I'm sitting up there, and then I'll never forget, as they call it first light, before the sunrise even hits, usually the 40 minutes on a clear day, you'll start getting light where you can see, you can Mm -hmm. walk around. And it was like all of creation came alive. The squirrels, the birds, everything that was silent in the dark Mm -hmm. came to life. And I'm like, I've never seen this from my house in Bloomingdale before. This looks really cool. 
and the the peace that you were talking about, there there was nothing um, fighting for attention of my thoughts. It was just like I could just do this, just this this mental dump of yeah. just my my brain of just being able to dump all, everything out and process it, the good, the bad, the ridiculous, the dreamer in me. I just was standing out, no one, no one bothering me. There was no TVs. And I'm just processing life. I'm going through good things, bad things. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting a lot out here. This is like a therapy session yeah. without a therapist. And yeah. I'm not sitting inside. And then um, it ended up happening where a, a small buck, a buck I would never shoot nowadays, I, I trophy hunt. And it's okay for people that do shoot those kind of deer. Um, but this, this little tiny, they call the spike buck, comes walking under me. And I thought I was literally going to have a heart attack. Like literally my heart's beating out of my chest. And I'm like, Jason, I'm like, all right, just chill out. This isn't a big deal. It's just a deer. And my heart's like, no, 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 you can't stop beating. And I, I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to have a heart attack. And this, I've never felt the adrenaline rush in my entire life that I felt when that animal didn't know I was there ninja style in a tree. And I have its life in the balance. And I'm sitting in this tree and ended up uh, really thankful, made a great shot and uh, all the guys came together, and it was this brotherhood of just I had missed from sports and just yeah. doing life in the neighborhood, playing you know with the kids in the neighborhood, and we all went on this blood trail together. It brought up this like just primitive, just what we were created, just as men. I just felt I came alive, yeah. and something changed in me that day. And I had this passion that I never knew existed for bow hunting, and this set a course for my life of a passion, a core passion that I never knew. And so not only was it enlightening in that I discovered a passion that I didn't know was there. Secondly, it was the ultimate reminder of what if this man, Tori, had never grabbed this Italian guy from Bloomingdale and said, I see in you this, I need you to come out and experience what I love. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to love it. If it wasn't for that man, I don't know where I would be today when it regards to how much time I spent bow hunting and how much joy it brings me and it feeds my family. Yeah. So I was able to experience all of that. And so that's where the, the passion came from. And then I just went on this course of my life where everything was focused on bow hunting. I wanted to just get away. I didn't want to be, I wanted to have that time where I could just not be bothered by life. And uh, what I love about bow hunting, you know, people always say, well, why like Brett Favre's and all these guys, these you know, rough and tough guys, why do they get so into bow hunting when they're done with their careers? Because it, it takes you to a place as a man where um, it's mano y mano. It's me versus nature. I don't, there's isn't a variable or like, hey, are you available today to go out and shoot hoops? Mm -hmm. are, do I got to have this kind of equipment? It's me versus nature. And there's something about that because there's never really an ultimate winner. Mm -hmm. There might be, you, you kind of win these little battles. You lose battles more than that when you're a bow hunter. But you're constantly testing yourself in something that feels right. There's just something you can't describe. You're like, I feel like I was created to be tested outside. Yeah. And um, and I think that's why you look at these cultures of the Indians where they would have to sit on a mat and to become a man. And whether there was a herd of buffalo or a storm, these boys would have to sit and weather that. Or like the Maasai warriors, when I went to Africa to become a man, I met in the Maasai warrior village. Um, the tribe leader and his and his kids, and they don't do it near as much because politics and everything. But uh, to kill a lion would be how you become a warrior. Yeah. And well, that that tribe, yeah, they hunt lions. Yeah, they hunt lions. Yeah, it's crazy. And 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 the there's so many opportunities for a boy 
to look back and say, I don't care how tough it is today in this storm. Look at these scars right. that show that I got through or look at yeah. these accomplishments. Because in America, it's just trophies. Yeah. It's all these things where we don't have it. And you wonder why, as men, myself included, there's so much insecurity. There's so much constantly every day, this battle for, do I have what it takes here? Do I have what mm. it takes to there? Well, I'm looking back. My dad says I do. I got some trophies back in you know high school. But let's say you're an athlete. Most people don't play college sports, let alone pro. Right. So now everything you were proven you were good enough in life at, that's gone. Right. Then you jump and you jump into the career world and you're constantly chasing the next paycheck or the next promotion to hopefully be told that you have what it takes. Yeah. And I think there's something to what we have outside in nature and the exploring and stuff that just, it's a natural, um, it's a natural, um, it, it, it's a natural classroom for yeah. us to learn and have lessons. And most importantly for me at that time, after I shot that deer, I felt like I could conquer the world. Oh, I bet. And it sounds goofy, but it was like, I can feed people now. I feel like I was able to achieve something. I followed instruction how to stay scent free, do everything. I may have what it takes. And you, you constantly revisit that. But yeah. in that moment and for those couple of weeks, you, you, you could slap me in the face and I'd still smile. I was on cloud nine. Yeah, oh, I bet. So that was kind of where the, the start of the passion from a, from a hunting standpoint. Yeah, yeah. But now, back to America, that doesn't pay any bills. So this is fun world. Like, I want to be a professional golfer or play football or whatever. So here's passion. And I think this is where we run into problems as men in our, in our society is uh, we have this passion. But in other, other cultures, you, you maybe grow up under your father's tutelage to be the next carpenter. Um, you, you, you grow up in apprenticeship programs mm -hmm. and it's kind of a core passion. Your family's involved and you just, you, 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 that's all, you know, you love doing it yeah. here. It's what can make me this kind of, you know, salary, this it's a lot more based on that versus practical and that passion. So mm -hmm. I got my passion here and I got this burning desire to live life. Well, it's at war then with the practical side because the practical side saying, you're going to eventually have to find a wife. Yeah. You're going to have to take care of a family. And so what am I hearing in that? Settle, settle, settle. You're going to live a life less exciting, but you're going to have to do it because that's what you do. And so I had that going on. And, and so I, I, I invested all my time, my money. If I wasn't working or doing school, I'm out, I'm driving. I remember me and my buddy are driving deer heads in the back of our trucks at college. You know, everybody's in, in class. That was, that was all I thought of. So I yeah. had that going on. And this same gentleman... Um, that it got me into it. They're about 20 years older than me. Uh, he had two buddies that were really successful business guys in this area. And they contacted me and said, hey, would you like to be on our team? We're going to put together an outdoor entertainment, um, kind of like a production company back in the day that did hunting videos. And so these guys were rough, tough um, wrestlers, the UFC type guys, mm -hmm. coaches, um, and were well known in the suburbs of the Chicagoland area for being great bow hunters. And so I hit it off with them. I was like, this is great. There wasn't the outdoor channel back then, Sportsman's yeah. Channel. So I uh, started with these guys, and all I was doing was kind of like a pro staffer for them. They started, it was called Takedown Outdoors. Okay. And it was this guy wrestling the deer, showing the heart of man that, hey, we're going to show reality footage, this and that. And the three of us, we started doing good with it. And that led to, back in the day, we were just, we didn't even know what Facebook really was. It was just starting up. And we had yeah. like 20,000 people that jumped down were following us. Oh, wow. Uh, we partnered with Deer and Deer Hunting TV, uh, which is the number one publication for uh, like like deer magazines, at least back then. I don't know what it is now. It's still, it varies, it's like the, the source for 
uh, for, for magazines for hunting, uh, they have some videos or, or actual TV shows. We started sending our, our hunts there. And so we were doing that on TV. Oh, cool. And so that's cool because mom says, hey, you look cool or you're out of your barbecue yeah. and your buddies are like, hey, dude, you're on TV. Yeah, you're shooting yeah. a deer. I'm like, that's awesome. And you don't get a check. You just get like a free tree stand or yeah. something um, if you're lucky. And so I'm doing that and that's fun. But I'm still, this is just la-la land. Like, it's not achieving. I'm so you, still, you weren't getting paid for that? I'm not getting paid for that. Okay. So not, none of us are getting paid to do that. It's just like we're producing videos on the side and, and just getting some free gear, this yeah. and that. And uh, so you have all that going on. And it was right then, uh, we're now getting into like uh, 2005, 2006 when the real estate market collapsed. I had built up the real estate, was doing really well with it. Um, I went into an investment property that was going to be more of a full-fledged, like, tear down, build, everything. And it was something I'd never done before. Mm -hmm. I'd done little remodels, this and that. But that was kind of the next jump for really big dollars. Mm -hmm. I sold all my properties um, and went into this big building project. And long story short, ended up um, the guy that I hired on was a horrible situation got really something that was supposed to take six to eight months ended up taking two years oh no and it was right when the market collapsed oh, and no. so i found myself um filing for a short sale uh in the end so here i was friends telling me hey you know just get rid of the property you know that was the thing to do back then you would just bankrupt your property go buy the next thing before they got a hold of you i'm like oh, that's what's corrupting america i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna try to be the good american right and so here i am cashing these giant checks towards these big bills and mortgages and all these building loans. And, um, you know, I got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. And so, uh, I'll never forget. I ended up losing, um, all my investments because it was all put into that one property. So I lost every savings I'd ever had lost my credit. My credit was shot because I short sold the, the project and I had done it in my name, not a company name. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was bankrupting a business. Mm -hmm. Um, to get better rates. And so in that instance, lost everything. And so here I was, I thought this was going to be my ticket to fuel my passion, which yeah. was hunting. And I, at that time, I thought I was going to retire by 30. I mean, that was my my audacious goal yeah. was I was going to still keep going, but like where I didn't need to, I'd build up enough property. That was my, my dream. So your your primary source of income then was your investment, your property, yep. your real estate so, so, no, so I was throwing the money back into that, but I was just at that time doing odds and end sales jobs. So that was where I was trying to not use any of the income. I was rolling them in other properties. Oh, okay, okay. So I had some, but it wasn't a career. I mean, it was jobs where it was like, hey, you can go outside sales and you hustle and you, you sell ads or you do this. There was no career. There was no end game. There was right. no, hey, I'm going to work. You were just doing enough to like buy another property then? So that, it was just to pay my bills. Okay. So that was to just pay my bills and then my properties I was flipping and taking all that money and investing it into the next property. And then so building the goal up to was, the point where that one big building. Yep. And so okay. I then sold all my rentals to then oh, go no. to have more a conservative approach on this and put everything into one building project. So all my properties, my portfolio, everything went into one project Yeah. and ended up losing the entire thing. So now I have, that's all gone. I got this takedown outdoors thing. I don't have any ownership in it. Mm -hmm. I've just got my buddies that are running it, doing that thing, and there's not really money in it. And now, really, what what am I going to do with my life? And so, lost yeah, all your savings. Lost, lost all my you savings. Yeah, didn't like work that corporate structure or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm oh, like, wow. I got a degree, but I have no idea what I'm going to do. 
and um, the speech com. What does this mean? And so that was a really hard time. And I was I had done some fitness competitions all over. I went to Italy and did different things and ended up having hernia surgery all at the same. And I remember laying on my back and I couldn't get out of bed. And I'm looking up and I'm saying, God, I've I've lost my identity in my physical body because I'm known as the guy that works out mm -hmm. and does that. I've lost my career and you don't you think you're fairly humble. It sounds big it sounds cocky to say that you feel like you're humble. Yeah. But you realize like you really thought well of yourself. At least I did. I was like, Yeah, I was the guy that at a party or whatever, my friends would be like, Yeah, Jason, yeah, he's got it going on. You know, he's yeah. he's, he's an entrepreneur. It sounds sexy and mm -hmm. he's gonna, you know, be independently wealthy. And it's like, well, wait, that's gone. And what hurt more was the insecurity of the title more than the money that was lost. Which is interesting to say but looking back on it what what title the title of just being being somebody who was uh, incredibly successful and savvy sure. and hey he's the business guy he walks in the room and so oh, that hurt more you than... got your job well you're just you know working for this guy doing this i'm the entrepreneur guy and i got this figured out and i'm gonna be an independent you know wealthy guy in right. my 30s and 40s well all of a sudden who's jason amato because Jason walks into a room and he's not very successful anymore. Right. Jason's the guy that lost everything. And as Jason, not granted, a lot of it was out of my control, but at the same time, perception can be reality. And you feel in the inside when you walk into a room like, well, you're the failure. Mm. You're the guy that, you know, made bad decisions or you're the guy that whatever it is, you're not the title of what you were. Yeah. And so here was my identities, my idols being stripped you know, looking back at this pruning season in my life where, okay, you're not the fitness guy anymore mm -hmm. and you're not the, going to be the real estate mogul guy anymore. And at the same time, I was also um, working and speaking at a church I'd grown up in my whole life and ended up, uh, you know, moving on from there and was just attending a church sitting in the back by myself, um, just kind of observing. And now I didn't have the ministry title of, oh, you're somebody at a church. No one knew who I was. Man. So you were like, you had, like you were saying, I kind of, kind of had everything going, right? Your money was there. It was going to get, yeah. the next step was there. It was all exciting. Your fitness was there. Your health was there. And then just took a massive, seemingly all at once, all a massive once. hit. Yeah. And so I wow. have a picture at my house, um, of one of the streets was called Valley, where the where the the the, the building deal went went mm -hmm. south, and it was just like, yeah, it was a valley of my life, like never before. Um, and at all of that, on top of it, I was engaged to get married, and so you know, I always give I always give Christy a hard time, like you were marrying me because you thought I had a lot of money yeah, and yeah. I was a cool guy, <laughs> like I, you're a homeless broke guy. Were you engaged <laughs> before you lost the house? Yes, building? yes, uh, yeah, for sure. so she it was, you for your money yeah, for sure. guaranteed, and so we've been struggling ever since, so, I'd, um, yeah, so try that, so now you're like, okay, um, honey, I don't have a clue, I mean, I don't, I'm not out to be this accountant doctor, I'm not gonna be a, a builder, I don't, I don't have a family business that I'm a part of, yeah, um, so I had all of that going on, now, you know, looking back, obviously, you can look at it differently, it was a time where, you know, I needed to be pruned, um, of these false idols, uh, idols, what I refer to is like identity that, um, is like the shifting sand. You build a house, like it talks about on a rock or sand. It's great when everything's sunny and shiny, but when the winds and trials come, 
that's built on something that's on a, on a rock. Mm-hmm. It's a firm foundation, whereas the sand just looks good until you actually get hit with trials. Yeah. And that's how my life was. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was so that was what was going on. And uh, then um, I had some friends that got me uh, uh, in with some insurance companies and some other things where I could do outside sales, make my own hours, kind of be my own boss. Yeah. Um, didn't have to go the corporate ladder route. So I was able to find some ways to start trying to make some income, right. pay the bills. So I'm doing that, zero passion in that, whatever. And I was doing that, um, but it was it was good because I was starting to make money again. Mm-hmm. And then um, my best friend at the time, they talk about church. Okay, so Mission Church. So my, um, my, my friend John came to me and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting a church, Mission Church. Do you want to be a part of it? And I was kind of burnt out with church world. I just, I thought all churches were corrupt. I thought all church leaders were insecure. Um, but I definitely, this is a guy I'd done life with since I was four. I knew he was secure and who he was. You've known John that long? Yeah, since oh, we cool. were four years old. And so it was um, a guy that I, I felt comfortable with that wouldn't be, um, you know, saying, hey, you know, you got to do this, this, and this. And you feel like, you know, you you get castrated at the door right. for lack of better terms. It's like, Hey, no, we need powerful men. We don't, we're not afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And obviously he wasn't, we were good friends. And, um, and so, uh, I started, um, uh, helping out with him and his vision with like 20 other people. We started that and that long story short, that led to, um, I was volunteering kind of slash staff, whatever they called it at the time, kind of like a part of my job in life. So I was doing sales. Mm-hmm. Then I was, working at Mission Church, helping with their small groups. So I'm on, I'm kind of on a staff at a church. I'm selling insurance, and then I'm still into this takedown outdoors making these videos. And so here I am, like I think a lot of guys in life, I'm waking up and my week is just scattered. And it's I got a couple days where my focus is here, and then I shut that hat off, and I'm just getting in a groove with the ministry and the church mm-hmm. stuff, and then now I'm going to focus on doing hunting videos or doing that world and I get in a groove and then all of a sudden I'm going to do sell insurance. And so I was in about three different places. And, uh, as at that time, um, thankfully we had kind of a perfect storm happen in our country. Um, you had duck dynasty that was kind of peaking. So this, and we're now pulling into like about 2014. Yeah. And yeah, Duck Dynasty was peaking. So all my friends around here that weren't hunters are calling saying, oh man, you know, this is so cool, but I don't have a beard to my navel, but man, I'd like to shoot a gun. Or yeah, uh, the, so yeah, Duck Dynasty, the movie Brave, little redhead girl mm-hmm. shooting black bears. Mm-hmm. And I uh, don't get the whole thing, you know, what is her mom and all that stuff. Yeah. But these ladies start calling me, hey, remember me from college or this and that. My daughter, you know, would like to shoot a bow. Where do I go? Um, then you had uh, Hunger Games, go from books to movie. And now it was always cute and sexy to wear leather. Well, now, you know, you're shooting a bow and now all the girls want to shoot bow and arrows. The guys think it cool. So now couples want to do hunt, you know, yeah. or do an archery together. So you had that going on. And then finally you had the Walking Dead phenomenon with the Netflix. So that the walking, the guy walks around with the crossbow. I've never seen an episode with the zombies. It's, it's yeah. I mean, it's a top hit for, for Netflix or whatever show it is and our channel. So me and my two partners at that for the, the takedown, um, we're getting, you know, just calls from random people and I'm just kind of going through, I'm like, man, taking a lot of these people out just to like, tell them about a bow and arrow, or we've taken all these people through takedown outdoors in the bow and archery shops, mm-hmm. man, there's a need, like there's a lot of people into this stuff. Well, the year or prior we had been, um, there's a boy and girls club called Riverwoods in Elgin. 
And this Tory had, um, he had been on the board there and like building things. And I yeah. think he's on the board, maybe not, but one of the guys was. And uh, so they said, hey, could you come and do something for our kids in the summer? We're like, sure, I guess. We kind of threw slingshots and horses yeah. and some other stuff. And at the end, something that we thought was like, we just kind of threw together. They were like, this is the funnest thing the kids did all year or, or, or all summer while they were yeah. at the summer camp. And so kind of this in the back of our heads. And and then at the same time, um, I had a, a person that was in the business world that had never shot a bow uh, go get him hooked up with a bow and arrow. And he starts shooting and falls in love with it. And one day I'm sitting there and I'm like, this guy looks like a two-year-old. He oversees tons of people at work. And yet he's like a little kid when you put a bow and arrow in his yeah. hands. And I started asking some of my friends in corporate America, well, what do you do for sales teams? Customer acquisition, customer retention. And it was it was like a broken record. Literally, every single one was, the three things they did was golf outings, mm-hmm. high dinner and drink events, and skyboxes to sporting events. Sure. And my thing was, well, how's that working? And their common answer was, well, what else is there to do? That's just what we do yeah. for team building, <clears throat> this and that. And I started sitting there and I'm like, wait a second. What if we could put together events that brought a clean-cut group of guys that understood business, had the relational intelligence to love on a CEO to a janitor and everywhere in between, and we put non-gender-based events. You don't got to be 6'5 and super hand-eye coordination to watch someone hit a golf ball or do something like that. We put these all-American days. And so just spitballing this, you mm-hmm. know, in, 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 in la-la land. And at the same time, I started looking and saying, well, wait a second. There's a lot of connections we have. And in business, they, they kind of say in life, well, what is your unfair advantage? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you survive a, a, a car accident and you go around and p- preach to people or talk to people or you become a life coach. You can do it because you have this unique circumstance mm-hmm. or your dad runs this awesome company and you're able to leverage that to take over the family business and do that. Sure. Whatever it is, that's your unfair. It's a good thing. And I think. Uh, when people come to me, a lot of these young entrepreneurs these past couple of years now know what I'm doing, and I have a heart for that. Like I love talking to these small business guys that come to me and and just say, I got this passion, but I'm feeling like I'm being suffocated at my normal job. Yeah, love that. And my biggest thing is first identify what's your unfair advantage. Then only think of what do we do. I mean, one of my buddies he now runs a super successful real estate company. His name's Mike, and the one thing he was working for a builder, and we would sit together. I'm like, well, what is your his dad used to buy dirt. I mean, when I say dirt, like, you know, he'd buy giant developments. I'm like, could you leverage that to pursue your dreams? Mm-hmm. Well, he ended up quitting, walking away from an amazing job. And now years later, he's running his own company and loving it. Okay. So what's, when you get to that point where you're like, man, I'm I'm not going to do this anymore, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm here. I don't know. Like, I have a passion for something. What, like, how, how do you, how do you take that step to quit? Like for you, yeah. I mean, for you, you, it sounds like you just lost it and you just like, yep. listen, this is what I love to do. There's a need. It's, it was like a perfect storm of all things bad. And then it was like a perfect storm of all things right in your pocket of like, here's duck dynasty. Here's the hunger games all in your passion. People are calling you because you've been doing this outdoors things. But like for someone who is like your buddy, Mike, yeah. like, how do you get to that point where you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, first, I want to I want to clarify. Um, it wasn't all bad to all good. Just because people were calling me to shoot bows in the front yard didn't mean that they wanted to write checks. Okay. Um, and this had never been done in the history of our country. People that would put on event type things like yeah. this. 
So there was no, um, I had no, every business coach I talked to had no model for this. They're like, what, so, what are you trying to do? So, so I want to clarify, like there was, um, th- that was not how it turned out. It was just the idea of the light bulb. So I think, but to your, your question, uh, first you have to identify. So I identified what was now the practical. Because okay. remember, we've been talking this whole time about passion was this bow hunting. I knew I, my, my, my soul came alive when I was outside. Yeah. But there was no way to make money. And so I looked into, well, what if I'm a TV host? Maybe I'm an outgoing person. Maybe I'll do that. But I researched that. Practical didn't make sense. Only 10% of the people made enough money to even do it. Right. So when the practicality, I saw that there was an actual opportunity. You see, you can't just say, okay, I'm, I, I desire to do be a professional golfer and you just walk out the door and quit your job tomorrow. There needs to be a plan. There okay. needs to be. Now, it doesn't mean that you know how you're going to execute that completely, but there had to be an idea of what if I put together events that people could pay me? Now, I don't know how I'm going to get access to property. I don't own any land. I don't know how I'm going to get enough weapons. Mm-hmm. How am I going to service that when I don't have the money to even pay for stuff? And how am I going to find workers? I didn't have the answers, yeah. but I had the blueprint. They go whether it's written on a napkin or whatever. It's I had the blueprint first, the vision, and then it was starting to when I would come home at night, start putting and pen to paper. Okay, what could this look like? What are okay. the practical steps? If you don't have that, because a lot of people come to me, and be like, I got this great idea, awesome. Practically, what does that even look like? Because I'm a, I'm a visionary. I mm-hmm. told you I suck at a lot of things. Yeah. I'm the vision guy. I don't know how to execute the stuff. You, if you don't have a solid vision, I don't even want to talk to you about anything else. The biggest reason why stuff fails isn't just the execution. It's because they don't have the grit or the desire to see it through. If there is one thing in life that I would say you want to really be an entrepreneur, you have to be willing. There was a, a guy I heard some guy with some basketball like motivational thing, and it was like telling these young guys that they want to do what they want to do. And he's like, walk into the water and he kept walking them in the water till they go yeah. and until and you're like wait i can't breathe and he's like well until you're willing to not breathe you don't want it enough right yeah he's like when you when you want it enough to breathe like how you want to yes. breathe right now he's like then you'll then yeah. exactly and i just think so many people watch these shark tanks and other things and they wait until either everything is just going to be right mm-hmm. not just a plan but they have all the money they have everything set aside that th- those aren't the hungry people right you look at how our country was started it was hey uh tony you're going to be sent across the sea to your uncle Vinny in in new york and you're going to figure things out yeah and it was this just that desire the passion and so quite frankly i don't want to discourage people but before you want to put your family through something like that or if you're single uh, go through what you'll have to go through the struggle if you don't have the desire and the grit to, no book's going to do it for you. Yeah. I, I am, I am, I get so tired of how many books we have in our country mm-hmm. and self-help this and that. If you want to be successful in, 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 in this career, this and that. And there was even a book written on grit. Great. There was a big grit book written. And I see all these people run around smiling like they got a grit badge. Yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you want to see me? I'll take my shirt. I got scars all over me. Yeah. Physical scars, emotional scars, scars that um, that are very heavy that'll go with me the rest of my life. Yeah, that I've had to go through because of that. So, um, do you have what it takes? Do you have that desire? Do you have that passion burning in yours? It's just a good idea that you kind of think right. would be cool. Everyone's got a good idea. Good ideas are You're a like, dime a dozen. Oh, I thought about that. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> but it's, it's funny though that you say that though because 
Um, so I, I labor. Yeah. So I'm working my body, but I grew up a three sport athlete and I was constantly like full, full throttle, cardio, everything. Yeah. And, but lately it's just been labor, which is hard work. I sweat. Sure. My muscles get worked out, but I started working out again, training and I was doing those sled sprints. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Brutal. You don't do sprints during concrete. (laughs) So I'm on like my sixth one. I was going to do 10, 50 yard sprints. And I'm on my sixth one, and I'm like, I'm having a heart attack. And like, ge- like genuinely, I looked at uh, my fiance, and I was like, babe, I'm like, I'm having a heart attack. And I was like, fearful. But I'm like, you're an idiot. You're not having a heart attack. Like, you're healthier than everybody in here. Just like, keep running, you know? And I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. I got to the last one. I thought I was going to die. And I didn't. Obviously, I'm here right now. But it's that thing where it's like, yeah, you can read about pushing yourself. And you could read about how pushing yourself helps. And I love reading those books. Love it. Yeah. But until you get on the treadmill and you're at that point where you feel like you're going to die and you push through it, there's like, I walked around the rest of the day. I'm like, come at me. What do you, you say, want? Yeah. You know, like, Bring it on. I dare you. <laughs> but the, the next, the day before, I'd be like, oh yeah, I read this book about grit. We had some technical difficulties. No, but I was saying though, you could read about grit, but until you get on that treadmill and push through it, like there's no better feeling in the world. No, no. It, it's, it's, it's second to none. But so, so you've, you found this need, you have this plan. Yeah, well, sort of. Yeah, so it's more of just an idea. And I think sometimes people need everything figured out for them before they take the jump. Yeah. And so I think you have to have your passion. So what you're passionate about. Then you have to have, okay, there's a vision of I see what could be practical. And then a little bit of an idea of is it, is it doable? Like is there is there, is that practically could that pay bills? Could that, right. whatever you, you want to have a family, whatever it is. And then I think if you're the one starting it, the visionary, you got to take the jump and you can't wait to have everything lined up for you. Now, some people have, um, you know, a bunch of money set aside. They can just take risks on the side, but the common denominator you'll read in most success stories, the really big ones, mm-hmm. the ones that were movements that changed things. Uh, it wasn't, ah, I just invested some side money and did that. It was, I gave everything I had and almost died, or I almost lo- I lost this, I lost this. There are so many scars associated with yeah. it. But the payoff was not only exponential from a standpoint financially, but in um, the impact that it made to society. Um, you know, There's so many things that, on a large scale, you just don't read stories about, yeah, I, I just tried it on the side. Right. You have to be all in. Right. And that's the way that... Um, I'm wired. So one of my things that I, I've always, and that's, I've fallen on my face, but I said I got a big nose, not just got my Italian. Yeah. Like, also <laughs> right. So many doors shut on me yeah. is I just jump yeah. and you got to jump. And so I, I saw it as I'm not content where I'm at. I'm not happy where this is going to be. I don't believe this is the best use of my skill set. I see an opportunity and if it were to actually work, I can't imagine what that could look like long term. So I got to try. Yeah. And so uh, I just think we get too caught up in hurdles. Or, and it's never going to be just right. Right. When's ever going to be just the right time? Oh, the wife's pregnant. We got to get in this health plan. Or we have to do this. Or we got to line up our investments just right. There's never the perfect time for something you want to strike. Because innovative products, when they did a computer in a garage, it hadn't been done before. If something's already been done, it's not worth that much. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to do something a little crazy. And I think that's, you know, what I try to instill in my kids is, um, you know, a lot of people thought I was nuts. 
you know what, what you're gonna do what well yeah. i know you like the bow hunt but wait i've never heard of people bringing bow and arrows in the hotels or you can't do that they're not going to yeah. legally allow you to do that who's going to stop golfing to go throw a spear that's just on some crazy brave yeah, things right. or the outdoor world and so um I don't know if that answers your question of when people ask me, yeah, you know, what no. things, yeah, when you're an entrepreneur with an idea, I just think the, the biggest, um, I think what's to me sad is how many men die with their dreams mm. and don't try, um, the things that they saw, uh, that, uh, you always see me get emotional. I get emotional over that because that was me, me just just feeling like I want to do something. I have this desire and looking how my life has been and where it's going. And if I wouldn't have jumped, can't imagine what the next 40 years would look like. And so, um, has it been hell? Yeah, it's been pretty stinking brutal. Uh, most days you wake up wanting to give up. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what I've experienced in my family and the way we've grown through that, um, what I've been able to show my kids, it, yeah. it's it's just a, it's a different story that we're writing that isn't something you find in a textbook, yeah, or just online. So take say, take us to today then, like yeah. where where's yeah. so, where, where's your business at? Where's where's your family at? Like yeah. how is this so full just, circle? So jumped in with these two guys um, and just said, hey, I, I don't you know have um, a lot of money sitting around to really just jump in and buy into a company, but I got these ideas that are all over in my head and I got the sweat equity to pull them off. And so uh, we were able to put something together uh, where you know, I was able to come on in as an owner and um, have since taken over the company and run everything and, um, and do that. And so um, we started with the idea of instead of being mediocre at a bunch of things, let's figure out something to start off. And so uh, once again, it was kind of like a, a break that I had. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, works for a big financial wholesaler, and he's kind of the top guy and runs the uh, uh, the Wisconsin area and he is like your prototypical stereotype of what if we can impress him mm-hmm. not outdoorsy we always give him a hard time his wife kills the spiders in the relationship yeah. <laughs> great athlete you know stud golfer all this stuff jock um but he looks great in a three-piece suit but yeah. he'd, be, he'd be sitting in your backpack you know you have to hold him walking through the woods and so uh he heard about what we had kind of done and say you know hey your family but i'm willing to give you one try i'm used to skyboxes um at uh brewers and packers and kohler for golf um, i need something unique because they're wine and dining the top advisor yeah but they need high-end stuff and uh that was when i just started picking up the phone and just said i'm gonna call clubs and pitch my idea if i can use their facility and i'm gonna call my connections in the outdoor world and see if we can get equipment and that was where it started. And I just I decided I had met with a um, kind of like a business uh, coach person. And kind of we had discussed that what if we were to create a brand that was like Red Bull and connected mainstream America with, unlike Red Bull connects mainstream America with extreme sports, mm-hmm. what if we connected mainstream America with the outdoors? Because Duck Dynasty is great, but I see a guy with a beard to his navel in the, in the sticks in the middle of nowhere and I'm sitting in, in the suburbs of Chicago, I still have a disconnect of how I get there. Right. And so what if we could create a brand that connected all the products of the hunting and outdoor world with mainstream America? Because my friends don't know Channel 416 exists, the outdoor channel. Yeah. channel. Yeah. So that was kind of the backdrop. Okay, now how do we get there? 
well, let's try one thing. And so we decided to work on a real high-end event first, which was like a five-hour go for shooting shotguns. Um, another unfair advantage, my partner, Jerry. Uh, his best friend just happened to own two restaurants in the Chicagoland area, had been doing it for like 20, 30 years, all over television, ABC7, and said, I'm looking to reinvent myself and do side things and awesome. have fun. Well, hey, Chris, how about you come up with a wild game feast that would blow away any of the steakhouses in Chicago? And these people, these bankers and other people would say, I've never had a better meal. It doesn't sound like I'm eating off an elk at a campfire in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So we got together, did a wild game meal. Long story short, went up, cast the vision to a, a club in Wisconsin and Waukesha. The owners, I said, hey, I want to rent your property during the middle of the week when your members aren't even there. And we're going to bring people that have the resources mm -hmm. to pay for things. And guess what? If they like what they have, they're going to want to come back and shoot at your range. Yeah. And they're like, a great idea. And so um, did that. And by the end of it, my brother-in-law said, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Um, and he got on a sales call and told the other regional reps. And that kind of started kind of a buzz. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we just were using my, my one partner. My partner had just the trailer he had back in the day to take down outdoors on it. And it had all this... Um, you know, it was just 10 feet and then we were using a painting trailer. We're just, just random gear. Yeah. It was chaos. And so, uh, from there we had the object, uh, objection of, well, how do I get the equipment and how do I get staffing? Because, uh, equipment is going to take a lot of money. I don't have that. So I actually drove to this archery trade show and, uh, I was in Louisville and I remember you got the Jason Aldeans, Luke Bryant's coming in, Ted Nugent's, all these celebrities to meet. And it's all where they do their meetings and they go out and party at night. Right. And uh, basically was, um, I'm a boy from Bloomingdale with a vision to get America outside. And Yeti and Winchester Ammo and Matthews, you can continue to pay fifty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 to put a commercial, I don't care what the money is, but continue to invest time and energy into TV shows that my friends in Chicago have no clue exist. And quite frankly, most of America doesn't know this outdoor industry exists. Right. So I would like to bridge the gap. It's going to be called Takedown. At the time, we didn't even know. My partner, Jerry, came up with the name Eventures um, because we wanted to call it Takedown take Adventures. And we would meet with all these business people, and they'd be like, well, what events do you do? We're like, we're not an event. We're mm -hmm. an adventure. So that's what Takedown Adventures. So, so you take down Adventures. And I remember sitting... And the, the kind of the the um, the pinnacle of that was Matthews Bows. is like the number one bows in, in the world. They have just great reputation. I remember just getting told, nope, we can't meet with you yet. We can't come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Waited three days. And I kept coming back every day, paying yeah. for a hotel room. And they're closing down their $100,000, you know, wall with all the fancy stuff. Screws are going in. And... Um, I had a chance to sit with their marketing director and I said, Hey, I know you're, you're busy. Your probably mind's going elsewhere. I have this vision to get America outside. Would you just give me 10 minutes of your time to hear my story? And if you're not compelled at the end of that to be a part, then I'll walk away. And, um, so did that. They said, man, wow, this is really cool. I get on board and slowly, but surely all these brands in the industry started buying into the vision and saying, well, we'll supply, the gear necessary to put on these events because that That's was kind incredible. of my dream was um, what if I could create a business model that wasn't based on me having you cut me a check just you know keep cutting me checks like a celebrity would for a TV show right what if my events could pay the bills and I build a relationship with you that makes this platform that eventually it's gonna cost you 
but right now let's build a relationship of trust and show that you want to be a part of our platform. Yeah. And that's how the takedown platform was created. And uh, so that was one of the steps was now we started getting all this gear from these people. And then the second thing was uh, I really wanted to see us repackage the outdoors. Because why did my friends in Bloomingdale, kids I grew up with, they think it's all Duck Dynasty world. Right. Now, I love those guys. I mean, those are the guys I want to be at hunting camp with. My friends don't. So how would we uh, repackage that? Well, I said, well, these got to be relationally intelligent people. They have to have the it factor. they got to be humble and not cocky because these people are going to be terrified Mm -hmm. when they come. And I got to the end of it, and I was really proud of myself. And all of a sudden, I get to the end of it, and I look at it, and I'm like, I can't get any of these guys. They all have full time jobs. I can't. Where am I going to find them? They all. I can't pay them what they deserve. And right. So I'm like, well, I'm screwed. And it's been fascinating. My most, um, uh, my most complicated obstacle became a most compelling statement, because guys started coming out of the woodworks when I would just sit with them, be relational, mm-hmm. involved in their life, and find out that this doctor, this accountant, this construction guy. You know what? They got their full-time job, but when they're not doing that, they're getting into the outdoors with their friends or their kids and saying, hey, we got to get America outside. we got to turn this thing around here. Will you help me? Because this is a we thing. Yeah. You learn this early in life. If you're going to build a movement, it's not a Jason Amato thing. I think that's what's really I'm proud of with Takedown is I don't got to be at any of these things. It's not about Jason. I have people way more uh, educated in the outdoors and awesome with people. But it's become, a, and we built that from day one. It's a we. It's the Takedown Nation, we yeah. call it. And oh, so cool. um, Takedown Nation started to grow. And these men started casting, hey, I know you're an account. I know you're busy. I know you wear a suit every day. Could you maybe just once a month, once every three months, uh, come to an event? I'll pay you for the day. It's not going to be like probably what you're making with your salary. No, it's not. You're making a ton of money. That's fine. But you're going to get paid, and you're going to hang out with some other like-minded guys, and you're going to do something that's for a great cause. And... The Rolodex of names has continued to build yeah. and build, and now we got. I mean, it keeps growing. We need a ton of guys. I mean, we need so we're about ready to just really blow this thing off all over the country. But what's great is when Ken and Barbie Dow show up for their event and they've never done something. They might think Jason lives with a pack of wolves because mm-hmm. they have an outdoor company, um, which isn't true. But all of a sudden, at the start of the events, we say, "Hey, if you're going to go on a journey, I want to know who I'm going in the boat with." We're going to give 20, 30 seconds with each guide. And each guide introduces themselves. And they say, professionally, what do they do for a living? So yeah. it's totally unrelated to the outdoors. That's cool. What do they love about the outdoors? And how are they excited about being with these people? And then we say, now you know us. We want to get to know your stories throughout the day. And what's been awesome is now it's like when people come, they see takedown represents the, the, the kind of the uh, Superman, Clark Kent. It's like... That guy can be in a suit and tie or, you know, his, his, his doctor outfits, whatever it is. Yeah. But he can also get dirty and have fun. Yeah. And he's not a savage. Yeah. And so um, those started to come together, and those are continuing a challenge because as we grow, we need more. But we started that, and it was hustling out of two small trailers um, and started in my garage. Uh, so talk about the fights with the wife and oh, yeah. uh, three little kids, and we're tripping over stuff. And I took a, uh, over an 80% pay cut um to to start it so there were days in the first two years where my wife was at um actual food food pantries um in line waiting for food for our family wow um i remember the time she came home and they didn't have it wasn't open that week and we're like well i don't know what we're gonna do and it sounds weird because we were living in bloomingdale at the time yeah um and there were times when it was i don't know if we're gonna get gas in our vehicle today Um, and so like i talk about 
most people don't really know what they need to do. I mean, you have to go to a really dark place, not an evil place, but right. a place where um, are you really in? And if it's it's like you, you know, they used to do the clay. What was like real, like refining gold? Um, you find out how true your passion is when it hits the fire. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was tough on my marriage. If we're, I mean, here's a wife who you know wants security. And all of a sudden, I'm telling her, hey, we're going to pursue this dream. And it might be hell for four years. And I don't know, we're going to pay bills and do that. And so um, I tell people the first two, two and a half years, there wasn't one month that a week into paying our mortgage, we knew how we were going to pay it in two and a half years. Wow. And it was amazing how God provided in ways. Um, it was just amazing to see... We had a couple times, stuff you'd hear about like in Africa or missionaries, random checks would just be in my mailbox. Hey, we just felt like you were on our heart. We know you're plugging away. We believe in the American wow. dream. Didn't even know. I'm not walking around telling sob stories. Right, right. Where people, um, and it was just, I, I, want, I needed a plane ticket to go meet with somebody. And I got a random check in December from a guy that was like, you've been on my heart. I don't know why this dollar amount's on my heart, but here it is. Exact to the cent on orbits of what the plane ticket was to get out there. I just got the chills. Stuff that I literally would be like growing up, I'm critical thinking, like I'm just like, that doesn't really happen. It yeah. doesn't happen in America. Stuff that was like out of movies and out of like sitting in church, missionary, like third world stuff. Yeah. I was experiencing. And so when I tell people it was the worst of times but the best, that's what water walking is. When you step out of the boat and you walk on water, it's intoxicating because you need a miracle at every step. If you're truly water walking. Yeah. It's one thing to put your foot and dabble in and get back in the boat. But I'm talking about you step and you're not turning back. Uh, they talk about in the Bible, um, Elisha, he burned his plows. And he was going to take over as the next great prophet. And that symbolized that when he was told that, he didn't have plan B waiting for him at home. Yeah. He was so committed when he heard it. And this was just like, I want to do this. There is no plan B. He burned his plows. And so for me, it was, I'm burning my ships. I don't have anywhere to turn if this doesn't work. But the only way I know how to do it is jump full into it because I know I have a passion for the outdoors. I know I have a passion for people. And I know there's a need in our country to get America outside. And I don't know how to do it. But if I don't try, I'm going to live with regret the rest of my life. Yeah. And that was where it was. We burned our plows. And uh, it was it was brutal. Um, yeah, we didn't own a car for... Three years. We had, I'm not, not making this up. My friend, people literally, I would come out of the woodwork. I'll never forget the first guy, electrical company. We did an event and he's like, how can I help this business? I believe in getting America outside. And I was just telling him, I said, I don't have a vehicle. I got an extra truck in my fleet. It's a Silverado he gave me. It's just two wheel drive, which yeah, is why yeah. I couldn't even pull off the side of the road. But I'm telling you what, people that tell me they can't do something, I got zero sympathy for it. And I don't mean to be harsh about it. I drove a Chevy Malibu owning an outdoor entertainment company. And it used to have to have other people drive my trailers because I couldn't even get off into the grass to put the event on. Wow. You want to talk about humiliating? You want to talk about swallowing your pride at the door? Yeah. You're literally saying, okay, God, I believe you've called me to this. And I feel you've skilled me in this way to do it. I don't have a clue how it's going to get done apart from your help and other people investing in this. Yeah. And that was... Um, and that was what happened for the first two and a half years. And then when that car, that truck was wanted back, we had let a couple live in our house that was from Brazil. 
And they were uh, all of a sudden, the month I was going to have to give the truck back, they said, well, we're moving back to Brazil. We don't have a place for our SUV. Would you be willing to drive it for us? Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. It was one thing after another. And it wasn't us with, like, compassion cards saying, hey, you know, please, you know, give to the Amados. We're so poor. Um, people dropping meals off. I mean, just the most wow. amazing thing. So that's, that was, I love talking to people about scars. Yeah. Because that's where your power is. And in the same time, my kids were able to see what hard work, grit, and that everything isn't always rosy all the time, circumstantially. Yeah. Um, what that's like to pray for mom and dad because they don't know how to pay their bills next week. Wow. And um, and that that's tough, especially as a man, because you don't want, you know, you play that game of like, do I want my kids to know that daddy isn't super tough? Do I want my kids to know that daddy might not be able to take care of them in this yeah. particular way? And what I found was the more I opened up, these are my little kids, they're not big old kids, I mean, they're six year old, but to watch my son being like, Daddy, I'm going to pray for you today because, you know, I know you're working hard to try to, we're going to figure it out. I'll That's save awesome. money up. And where's he going to learn that in a textbook? He's not going to be living life thinking he's just going to get some handout. He's seeing his mom and dad saying, We're not that cool. We're not, we don't have all the answers because life's going to hit you with curveballs to realize real quick that we're not supermen and superwomen. And so the reality is if my son can see at an early age that his dad was just an ordinary dude, but he just kept laying it out there every day and kept trying and trying and trying, and he had a vision and he had a goal and he wasn't going to stop till he achieved it, I'm back to what we started at the start of our whole talk was tangible. It's flesh and blood. Yeah. I want to be that example for them. Yeah. And uh, I think we have an opportunity as men to be that to our wives, to be that to our neighbors, to be that to the world around us. And so that's... Uh, you know, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's exciting. This is year four. That's awesome, we've, man. Um, we, like, broke even where we paid all our bills this year. And uh, the exponential growth that we have in store for this coming year and the brand is being – we're in 20 states now. I mean, That's it's incredible. Like, it's – I can't imagine it would ever be this exciting. And we got a long way to go because, as you know, first five to seven years, you're constantly reinvesting everything. Right, right. Once you actually do get it, it's like, sorry, honey, it's got to go right back into it. Yeah. But, um you know, we got our first 30-foot trailer, and it's all now customized. Now we got the prototype to do around the country, and I got men calling in saying, you know, how do I guide a couple days in the summer or yeah, the yeah. fall? And lives are being changed. Uh, corporations, uh, politics, politicians are saying you could never use our facility. We just got into the College of DuPage and threw tomahawks, spears, and uh, aerial archery in their field. That's never been done. Yeah. But it was meeting with them and saying, hey, let's have a conversation yeah. about empowering human beings. Mm -hmm. We're meeting with the forest preserves next month. They've been telling me I can't get in there. It can't be done. Why can't it be? Your whole vision is to get people outside. I don't want to walk around and pick flowers all day. Right. That's going to get old real quick. Give me a spear. Give me a tomahawk. And let's have some fun and watch somebody now invest in wanting to be in the outdoors. Right. Get them out there yep. with something fun. And then they're, they want they're to hooked. stay. Yeah. So that's what we do. And so we're doing indoor events. I mean, next month we're going to be up in Wisconsin for 600 people, husband and wives, indoors, high heels and skirts, suits, flinging arrows. Yeah. Um, to we're going to Florida in two weeks for outdoor events. We do uh, corporate picnics where we're taking dads out of beer tents and kids away from just getting their face painted. We're bringing families together, and they're both shooting crossbows. One's got the little kid Daisy one, and the other dad's got yeah, the high yeah. powered, and they're having fun at a picnic. That's and awesome. corporations are now saying, wait a second, instead of team building with 
a gutter and a golf ball that all rolls into a solo cup. Mm-hmm. Let's actually do something fun yeah, yeah. and bringing people together. And so that's, that's cool. um that's what we do, and our goal is to you know our tagline is getting America outside, and that's uh, we're not going to stop till we do that. Yeah. So um, I just want to acknowledge you, man, because you you could tell you have a lot of passion hmm. for what you do, and uh, you've been through it, you've been through it all, and hmm. uh, you came out just with the sounds like just unwavering faith you know that this is what you were called to do and it's gonna happen and and that's it it's gonna happen so i just want to acknowledge mm-hmm. you for that it's awesome thanks bro. um two quick questions yeah. i kind of ended with yeah um how do you define manliness i think it's been defined to me through my father's life. My father wasn't a very, it isn't, if you go, no, that's like Super Mario Brothers. Looks like little Luigi. Not a, not a tough, empowering person. Um, but the things that he mentally tough pushed through, uh, I've learned between that and my scars, uh, I take a lot of pride in that. I would say that manliness to me is not someone who doesn't experience fear, um, but gets up every day and doesn't let fear stop him. Uh, I, there's like a John Wayne thing. My buddy had told me the other day, like they interviewed John Wayne about it. And his whole thing was fear is, uh, what does it mean to be tough? And he's like, it's saddling up when you're scared to death. Mm. And that's, uh, I feel very similar to that. I don't wake up most days feeling like I'm going to conquer the world. I yeah. wake up with a lot of fears. But um, still going after it. But it's still going after it. I just show up. Um, you know, we have values in our home, and the one is that the Amados will always show up. Mm. And I think a man shows up. That answers um, my second question. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you about legacy. Yeah. 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 Um, for my kids, uh, there are two things I ask them is, did they show up today? And before bed, do they have any regrets? Uh, regret is something, from the spiritual side, you can talk about, like, sins forgiven. You can do that. You can do you know, what anything's forgiven of. You can do things in life and screw up, get second chances, make things different. Um, The only thing that haunts me in life that no one can do about is my regret of different things. Of things that I didn't do because I was afraid. Things I didn't do because I didn't have that conversation with that guy like I should have had. Um, And so for me, uh, I want my kids and those um, that are in my circle of influence to always show up to live with no regret and um i just for me it's 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 a whole thing about passion i want them to realize that i i i I say uh to people that if i was at my funeral and i was looking down i would want people to show up that had never met me before and hear what went on in my life i wouldn't say accomplishments but what I, i i tried to do and this and that and come to two conclusions I was either a lunatic or I believed in a gigantic God. Mm. I want my life to be lived so audaciously that whatever I get involved in is so big, it has to be a lunatic or I believe in a gigantic God. Whatever that looks like to that person has never met me. And that's how I want to live. I, I live as a little kid. I always want to be a little kid at heart that believes that I don't serve a small God and so there's a demand on my part of what I want to serve. If I'm yeah. going to serve a God, he better be pretty stinking big. 
and my life, I want to be audacious in how I was living. Then it doesn't mean it's always successful. Right. But it means that every day I showed up. And see, what that does is it frees me from the failure of my skill set. It frees me from circumstances that are out of my control um, surrounding. Because some people listen to this, they're not in a circumstance where they have much control of certain things, but they can show up. Yeah. And so um, those are the biggest things when I think of legacy that I want to stand out with my friends, circle of influence, and my family. Well, I feel like I could run through a wall right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a... Wow. That's an awesome story. It's just... The beauty of it is just the story of just living life. Yeah. Awesome, man. People are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, Thank you for coming. Seriously. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely.